Welcome to This Is Who I Am. I'm your host, Rosie Leach, a leading self-love and happiness coach. This is the podcast where I help you fall in love with yourself and break free from people-pleasing, self-doubt and fear. It's time for you to proudly say, this is who I am. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm very excited to introduce somebody to you this week. Now, I'm lucky enough to call this person my friend. She's a past mentor of mine and someone that inspires me every single day. That person is Samantha Hearn. Now, Sam is a certified business coach. She used to be a teacher and she's a CPD trainer, as well as an absolute bad bitch, to be honest with you. I've worked with Sam in the past and she allowed me to progress in my business whilst also helping me balance life as a mum and create a path to success that was unique to me and didn't just follow society's standards of what a business is supposed to look like. Sam's aim is to mentor women to build a legacy and not just a business. And aside from her entrepreneurial success, Sam has gone through so much in her life, some of which you're going to find out about now, and before coming a business coach, helped individuals overcome anxiety. She's determined, intelligent, totally heart-centered, and I believe someone that you can gain a lot from, regardless of whether you own a business or not. Her ability to overcome all that she has in life has allowed her to refine some incredible life skills that I think you're going to absolutely love hearing about. So let's get stuck in. In this episode, I really think we're going to talk about loads of different things and probably definitely randomly go off topic. I think the last time we had a conversation in a coaching session, we ended up talking about nipple piercings. Um, so it t- tends to be like a variety of things. Uh, that's just the vibe we go for. Um, but when I think of you, and people have obviously already listened to the little introduction I did, I think of drive, I think of passion and also definitely like no nonsense approach to life like I think we have that in common of the kind of no bullshit um which I think is really important as well because within self-development I think it's really easy to get into the like fluffy rainbows and unicorns and like you should just love yourself all the time and it's like life doesn't work like that and neither should self-love I think there's loads of different elements to it so yeah your approach to life I love but also to business as well because I think it's it's really important um but most of all you're somebody that I think is just capable of overcoming anything so I know obviously a little bit of your story um and I know you um but resilience and self-belief I think is what we're probably going to zone in on today obviously with these other random tangents we'll definitely go on um but I think you're a fucking force to be reckoned with and I think the resilience and the drive and the ambition your ability to overcome things is a lot of possibly where that comes from and I think people listening to it will be able to learn a lot from your approach to life but also business and all the things that fall within it we were just talking before about recording you're about to become a mum at the time of recording and I think your approach and to life generally is I think you're you're the biggest part of your success in every area of your life I honestly believe that so I think people are going to get a lot from listening to that but would you mind starting by just delving into your story and sharing about you and your life and what has formed you into who you are today yeah totally I think that's really important actually because there's always context so you know I, I agree with what you've said um you know I definitely would say I'm a force to be reckoned with I'm very very driven I will always I will always create success I've got a real kind of um bulletproof nature around myself so that is true however I think it's good to give context and, and how I've got to this point so, yeah, I'll start at the beginning, but, you know, you're here for the long haul. So get a cuppa. It's not that long. Don't worry. I've, I've done this enough now. I know how to make it shorter. So, OK, so I have um, a twin brother and um, my mum and dad, there was 19 years between my mum and dad. So already we grew up in a household with very different generational views, you know. So my mum was 28 when I was born and my dad was 42. So. Um, from the outside looking in and of course I didn't know this as the child but as I grew up you know it became a lot more uh, prevalent Um, we were already different you know Sean and I because we had parents that did have this age gap um, but we also then were twins which obviously a lot of people had comments about that Um, we're a boy and a girl so there was always there was always something so we always I always grew up with something um, but then my mum 
uh, my mum and dad separated when we were seven. Um, and that was a very, that was a very difficult time because she, um, she, she told us, you know, she sat my brother and, and, and me down and sort of told us what happened and she'd um, had an affair. So, you know, we were seven. I remember sitting on my brother's bed. You know, it's a memory. It's like etched in my mind. You know, we're so young. And, uh, and my dad was heartbroken because um, he he didn't have biological children before Sean and I. So obviously he's got into his early 40s. And back then, we're, this is in the, um, you know, this is in the 80s. So, you know, back, back then, being that age, not having a child was really old you know now it's very different you know mums and dads are having kids 30s 40s and it's you know really kind of you know socially much more normal but he got to his 40s he had no children and then all of a sudden his wife gets pregnant and he has one of each you know so it was it was honestly he was the most obsessed besotted parent you know like he just was so obsessed with us and you know on on our birthday would buy my mum a present and say thank you for giving us to him you know oh, he stop. yeah so he, yeah he would he would he would cut her salads in her tomatoes into roses and he was just you know absolutely obsessed so of course that was difficult he was really heartbroken you know because by that point now and again looking back I knew that at the time I knew at seven he was crushed um and of course that was really hard for Sean and I uh then so then, and we lived with our dad. So we stayed living with our dad. Our mum moved out. So I then from seven, so all of the points in your life that you form your biggest memories and mindset and connection was fucked basically. So we'd obviously grown up from naught to seven. Wasn't ideal um, because obviously mum was doing what she was doing. We didn't know that, but of course that must've put tension. I had two working parents. So they both, my dad had his own business um, and my mum worked for customs. So and she it was very intense that like she did, dealt with like drug smuggling. And um, my dad was in security. He was an ex-policeman. So we I did grow up in a house of, of high achievers, but they were always working. We had an au pair. Um, but of course, we went to school. So it was, you know, when I look back, our, our, our upbringing was very different. None of my friends had an upbringing like us. Then obviously my mum moved out. So that was unusual. And then when I was 14, uh, my dad went in for a routine operation and he didn't come home. Uh, that always gets me. So, yeah, he went in uh, to have his, he had gallstones um, and it should have been, he had keyhole surgery and he, um, the operation went wrong and they cut his liver. Uh, he got pneumonia, ended up with an infection, spent three weeks in hospital and he didn't come home. So, Two days before Sean and I went into year 10, uh, he passed away. Um, that was, that was yeah, we were there. I was there when he died um, with my brother and my mum. And that, again, I will never forget that moment. Like, it was just horrific. Uh, so my mum then had to obviously move back in. So she moved back in. But obviously in this time, she's built her own life sort of separate to us. We still saw her, obviously, but she's got her own partner. She's got her own flat. So she spent a lot of weekends away with him back at her other flat. So Sean and I then would have parties in, in our house. We got into all sorts of mischief, really. When I look back now, I think we were fucking wild. Um, but I was very good at school. I was very well behaved. I was meticulous. You know, I became head girl. Uh, Sean, on the other hand, really struggled, um, really, really struggled with his anger um, so, you know, I sort of became his mum, really, from when mum moved out when we were seven. I'd iron his clothes, I'd make our lunches, I'd make my dad's lunch. So I grew up very quickly. Uh, and then obviously when he died, I became his, I did become Sean's protector. Uh, because mum was, although she was there, she 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 still went to work every day. She would obviously have her own social life. So I definitely, yeah, by the time... By the time dad died, my life, I was i was an adult, I would say. I definitely wasn't, you know, a normal 14-year-old girl. Um, and then when I was 19, to when I was 20, 19, 20, I was at university at the time, my mum told us that she was going to sell our family home and move to Jamaica. Uh, so by the time I was 21, she'd moved to Jamaica. My brother then moved to Scotland to be with his now wife. They've got five kids. And, you know, obviously, fast forward, it's been like 15 years, but you know, back then that was hard, you know, he's all I had and we're twins. I've never, ever lived my life without him. And we've been through so much trauma and I loved him like a child. Like I, I protected the fuck out of him. 
um, in all situations. And he did struggle at school and he's severely dyslexic and, you know, it wasn't an ideal scenario. He was angry, got in trouble with the police. So for him to then move away, uh, that was hard. Um, and then I, I then spent the next three years, I moved six times. I moved, I lived with a friend. I then lived with another friend. I lived with a boyfriend. I then moved in with another friend and her family. Um, yeah, mum was in Jamaica. So yeah, by the time I was 21, I'd experienced what most people do when they're 50. I'd lost both parents, one not out of choice and one out of choice. I'd had a separated, broken family. My brother had moved. Um, so my anxiety and mental health and fear of abandonment was unbelievable uh unbelievable so but in all of that the one thing that never changed was my ability to succeed so I worked I'm, I'm hard working like I, I would say I'm just hard working so I I definitely got all of those things from my dad I he instilled in me a lot uh, I have his moral compass I definitely have his tenacity he's northern both my parents were northern uh, but he's from Yorkshire so he was a typical Yorkshireman so I definitely did I am my dad's daughter for sure um, but I did I became head girl at school I graduated with a first class honours degree at university top of my class and all of that you know I, I became I got all A stars, A star to Bs. My dad had just died. I became head girl. My mum was moving. I graduated with a first. My mum lived in Jamaica and I was effectively homeless. So at the worst times of my life, I'd created the biggest successes. And that that was always anything I could control, I succeeded in. And then fast forward to now, when I was 26, uh, my husband and I, I was, I was 25 when I got married. We decided we wanted to try and have a baby and it didn't happen. And that was really rough. Uh, my anxiety came back. I just felt like a failure. I'm, I'm, I've, I've never failed at anything I've put my mind to. And I know that that's not what that is, 100%. And anyone that has ever experienced fertility, of course, you're never failing. But I felt like that. I felt like the one time everything I'd ever wanted to do or achieve, I could do. I could click my fingers and it will happen because I will never, ever give up. And I, I'm very, very resilient. And this got me. And I was like, I don't know what we're doing wrong. And we did it. We did it all. You know, we did it all. We tried the sex every two days, every three days, um, different times, legs in the air, all of that shit. And if you've been in that boat, you get it, you know, uh, and fast forward six years, we would no further forward. Never, never, ever. And I missed a period. Um, we'd had all the tests done. So when I was 20, yeah, so 26, we started trying. Then when I got to 27, I started my first business because I thought I just can't do this. I can't just live in this situation. So fast forward six years, I have a thriving business. I've got three businesses. I've got an amazing life. I love what I do, but I built that at the same time as then still not getting pregnant. And then we started IVF. So again, the hardest times of my life have always equated to the best times. You know, like Rosie said, I'm about to have a baby. So IVF worked, but I've got the business and I started the business because something had gone wrong. So I would definitely equate this idea of me being this kind of force to be reckoned with, with everything that has ever gone wrong has steered me to create something that's gone right. Like I've always, and, and, and if I do look at it like that, it's, my life's a big oxymoron. The best highlights have always come from the worst, like pits of shit, basically. So yeah, that's a that's a little synopsis of my life. <laughs> a little synopsis that is just like a roller coaster. So like, oh, I was starting to cry <laughs> when you were crying. Like it just is full of things. And this is yeah. why I think, you know, like in the, intro I'm saying oh Sam's resilient people probably think oh yeah cool and then you're like shit like you are fucking <laughs> resilient like you were right this is stuff like, this is heavy stuff and I think what's really interesting is everything you just said is like I honestly sit there I'm like this is it, it makes me this is why you're someone that inspires me and I think that's a phrase that's fucking thrown around like so much and it's it's cringe but it's true like and why when I worked with you I thought you're the kind of person I want to work with because these are the kind of people like for you to have a mindset right where stuff goes wrong and you're 
thinking, right, I'm going to make something go right. Mm. And yes, regardless of the fact that, you know, you had your struggles with the anxiety alongside that, but you still have always, it seems like you've always had this like self-creation in you, right? I will make this work for me. If if this doesn't work, I'll do this. And I really resonated with what you said um, with the, it must've been that first time when you couldn't get pregnant, you thought, oh, okay, this is actually something I can't. Yeah. Control. And that's when you suffer with anxiety is always triggering because you're like, well, the whole point of anxiety is I like to control stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. That was probably and- the most humbling experience being in a situation where you're completely the victim to something you can't control. I, mean, I, I like to be in control. So that was really hard. And it's sad because you it's sad that in that situation your first thought and I think naturally everyone's first thought I know it was mine when I couldn't get pregnant I remember vividly standing in the kitchen talking to my ex-husband saying it's the one thing I'm supposed to be able to do yeah and yeah. I, do you know and I think that the, the social media society expectations got so much to answer for because even when you're at school you just get taught if you have sex you'll get pregnant yeah don't and, have sex because you'll get pregnant <laughs> yeah and there's and there's so many women that have so many you know because we would just we're just the one in eight that's unexplained there's actually no anatomical challenges but there are so many women that have so many needs that are so personal that you have no idea about whether it's hormone imbalance, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, you know, no periods, heavy periods, clots. There's so many things. And I just think when, until you're in that situation, you're exposed to a level of intensity of self-exploration that you didn't even know was, was there. And I think that's why it's triggering because you just all of a sudden get hit with a reality you didn't even know was possible. And that's tough, you know, like how does any woman mentally prepare herself for that when it's never been put on the cards? No one has ever mentioned that ever, 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 ever. Then all of a sudden it doesn't happen or you go through these horrific traumatic experiences, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's not getting pregnant, whether it's not having periods, whatever it might be. And you're like, no one's ever told me about this. And you're a fully grown adult. Yeah. So you're, you, I, I agree. I think it's such a triggering experience that we could avoid. We could 100% avoid it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that definitely was probably out of all of it. That was that was the hardest because I just thought I didn't see this coming. It's yeah. And that. But it's, it's also interesting in that obviously you've not been able to see any of the things that have happened coming, but your response to this is different. And I it's an interesting topic, I guess, to explore. But. I do, even what came out of that was your business. 100%, like, yeah, exactly. Your, yeah. your ability to, and this is what I think is in, is in, of something that people, there's going to be so many people now that are sat there in difficult situations, having maybe had something very similar, something very, very different um, that's happened. And like you say, something that they were never fucking prepared for. And also frustratingly possibly could have been prepared for. Like, that's what I think is a shame is when you have a miscarriage or when you can't have a baby, you end up talking to people and you realize, I remember the first person I randomly told was like a neighbor. And she was like, I had a miscarriage too. But we'd never have had this conversation. If, until I was in this situation mm-hmm. and that's where I think we're missing a trick is like you say like if not that being prepared would have made any difference in some respects but it also would have and it's the mindset element of it is you've had a lot of life that's kind of been thrown at you that you've not been able to prepare for and when there's something that you could have potentially had more information on that's frustrating in itself as well because you think why was I never told that this was an option and I think there's a lot to be said about schooling and the knowledge around fertility and things like that interestingly my mum and dad tried for six years and were given the unexplained infertility um but in the end gave up and randomly got pregnant but it's it's one of those things that I think and I've spoken to my mum about this before is even the process is very traumatic. They tried for IVF and it didn't work. And she was like, it's just, nobody prepares you for that. They looked at adoption and it was such an invasive process. And my dad was like, I don't think I can do this. Like, this is so intense. And this is like, just not how, not how you imagine it. And I think this is one of the things I was talking to somebody about recently is you also grieve the idea of what your life is going to look like. And I don't know if maybe you've found that, um, with losing your dad or um you know the, all the different things that happen is you create we all create versions of our lives and then when that doesn't happen it's like you lose that life and you grieve that life not only the person and yeah. things that come with it and I think 
obviously it's so funny that we were talking about this before we're like oh I don't know if we're going to touch on motherhood <laughs> like straight away we're already into it but you do think about you as the mom and you think about the them and I still think about sometimes the baby thinking well they'd be this old right now and we'd be doing this and of course I wouldn't have my other kids probably if I had that baby and so it, it all happens for a reason I believe that but it's just I think that's really important actually to talk about because when we talk about trauma uh, in any form the statement everything happens for a reason is probably one of the hardest to hear at the time yeah. but if I do look back and when you were just talking then my mindset's always been how can I create a solution mm. I'm I've always been aware of of the the victimhood that comes with trauma I've always been aware of that and I remember um at all these different points uh, the one specifically I remember obviously when when my dad took his last breath I just left the room uh, and I remember even now um I just collapsed on the floor and I thought I just can't do this like I don't know how I'm going to do this but I then got up and I went and stood outside and there was a woman and she had a little hamper like a little wicker basket hamper. Uh, and I sort of sat on the floor next to her and she was visiting her daughter and her daughter was in hospital. And even at the time, and it will always trigger me because obviously that's probably my biggest traumatic experience. Like I've, I watched him die in front of me and the feeling, and it was so intense, but, uh, and I'm about to give birth, so my hormones are fucked. But, <laughs> but I remember she said to me, and it will always stick with me. And I just said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And she said, but you will. She didn't say, no, I know, like, this is horrific. This is horrific. She said, but you will. And I always remember thinking, we we always have a choice. We always have a choice. I could, I could very easily, and I say this with love, but I could very easily created a life as a victim mm. and got away with it. I very easily could have done that and 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 lived that life because obviously all of this stuff that happened and I could have lived off the back of that for a good decade at least. But then I would I be living? Would I be living? Like I, I in my mind, I always have this idea of the one statement I always say to myself is, I never want to be the reason that I don't succeed. So for example, you think like my mum did what she did, that's on her. My dad died. That's not his fault. But that again, that's not on me. Uh, Sean moved away. That's not on me. The fertility stuff. That's not really on me. I can't do anything about it. So all of those things were thrown at me, but they weren't mine. What is mine is what I then do. So I was like, do I now want to just become part of this traumatic, grieving, challenging situation? Or do I want the bit that I create to be positive? So, I, and I've always had that mindset. I never want to be the reason. I never want to look in the mirror and know that I'm the reason it hasn't worked mm -hmm. in life. I, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not successful. I've not done what I wanted. And that's definitely where my drive comes from. I, I know I have a lot to answer for, for my own life. I know that like now as an adult. So yes, as a child, I had all of these experiences, but that's not who I am now. I can't in my mid thirties, still talk about what happened when I was seven, as in that's going to be the reason I am the way I am. Like you, you go through different stages in life. Like you said, there's different versions of me. There's different versions of, of the person I've become, but the, the version of me now, I can't keep living off that story. You know, it's not, it's not going to help future Sam. It's not going to help me when I'm 50, 60, 70 and the life I've created. So the one thing I would say to anyone like you said, listening to this, going through a, a time of challenge is your biggest compensation, whether it is revenge or whether it is reconciliation or whether it is repentance, whatever it is for you, you know, and everyone has their own stories to go on. The best compensation you can give yourself when you've gone through any form of trauma is to succeed on your own. No one can ever take that from you. No one can ever question it. No one can ever, they, people can do fuck all with that. 
So, you know, even if it is you've got a child and you're now divorced and you're like, how am I going to do this as a single parent? And what am I going to do? Whether it's you had an amazing job and you get made redundant, whether it's you loved your car and you had a car crash and now you've got a higher car, whatever it is, the best compensation is to make success happen from that place and be able to sit with yourself and say, I did that. That's always I will I will never, ever not stand by that as the best piece of advice I would give anyone I think that's fucking phenomenal advice and I think everything you just said then even though you're like these things are thrown at me but mm. you just your, your opinion the way you view that is what impacted how you dealt with those situations yeah, yeah. What you, turned, you did that and that that is the power like you said you you know it's very easy you chose the harder route the vic- being yeah. a victim was easier in terms of like you are a victim of all these things that have happened to you but choosing to how you identify yourself and what you do with that is is like you said is that's your fucking superpower mm-hmm. and, and that you, you can't change that you know like I always think this as well like I didn't choose to be born no no child chooses to be born you know the parent chooses that and of course there's like I do believe that obviously spiritually they they come to you and all, I believe in all of that, but I'm just saying for the general gist of the scenario, the, 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 the vulnerable, innocent life that is, that has come into the world is there because two people have created it, you know, however that's happened, you know, um, and uh, the, the two people have created this decision to do something to create a life. That life that's come into this scenario is then, of course, susceptible to everything the people that decided they would be there are going to do. So until you're at an age where your life does become your own and you do have your own opinions, you've got your own personality, you've got your own energy, you can you can actually function and think for yourself. Everything that happens in that beginning part can either shape you into how you then choose to think, do I want this or do I not want this or become you? And then you just create another version of this. And people talk about this all the time, you know, generational trauma and all of those things. But I was very acutely aware of that. You know, like these decisions, I've had no input in these choices, none. You know, getting sat down on my brother's bed with my mum. I had no fucking input in what she was doing, but I did have an input into what happened next. Like even then I was a caring, loving, emotional individual. You know, I've always been like this. I've always, I cry at anything. Like I've always been like that. Um, And I thought I can't, I'm not gonna change who I am for one, but I'm not going to become someone I don't wanna be. I'm just not going to do that. So I'm not going to become someone that makes excuses because of what someone else has done or someone that has affairs or someone, whatever. I'm That's not going to be my story because it's not who I am. So I think resilience is, is an, but, but Rosie, the one thing I would say is when people forget that that's what my story is, I know I can be seen as triggering for people. I'm very aware of that. I'm a strong minded, bullish woman that other women I know look at and think fucking hell like you know I I know that I do know that I'm very self-aware but at the same time this is all part of the journey that's part of their their discovery and what they have to go through and it was a form of protection I wasn't always this way to succeed sometimes I was this way because I had no other choice I had no choice and when you are put in those situations you know, effectively being homeless at 20. When I look back now, I think that's fucking nuts. Like, what the hell is going on? But, you know, what? Um, at university, I had three jobs. And then even when I graduated and I got my first teaching job, I still had three jobs. Like, it wasn't like this was an easy process, but I had no choice. So, of course, I had to become my own, like, warrior. Like, there was no, there was no other option. So it's almost like if you're in a situation and you worry and you're thinking, oh, your resilience or your tenacity gets used against you or you don't want to be seen as offensive or is you being an alpha woman triggering or you know do are people going to take you the wrong way there's so much that comes with it as as an adult woman that is maybe a little bit more in that kind of masculine driver you have to remember what why you are there and usually the women that have this force or this kind of bullish, you know, have gone through something. 
because women have to learn and it's different you know and this goes down back to you know ancient times women have to learn how to survive in a different way we weren't the hunter-gatherer we weren't the one killing we were the one nurturing and being nurtured and being put on a pedestal and motherhood and families and that was that was our role over time though it's changed and men went to war and women had to then fucking do the thing like so it, it time has created versions of women that had no choice but to step up and the war is a perfect one before that women weren't allowed to do anything then there was the war then we had the fight to vote then we had the fight to jo jobs and blah 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 and obviously that's not what this is about but in your own life you can think about that there will be versions of you that have had to fight to become the version of you now you know there's the version of me now has had to fight to get to this point to fight against the mum that I knew versus the mum I want to be fight against my brother won't love me anymore because he doesn't live next to me anymore like you have to fight against these things so if you are feeling like you want to be stronger you want to be more no I'm going to do what's right for me but you're worried about what other people would think remember that your story has led you to that point yeah. so someone else even my husband when I first met him he was absolutely flabbergasted by my life he was just like this is what it what is wrong with what are you talking about like he just even now sometimes and, and people will say to him even now you know we've been together 13 years married for eight people will say wow she's they're, they're, they're surprised you know because I'm very forthright and he's very grounded and it works and you know obviously but people will make comments and he always says you just don't know her like she is not you you she is not like a normal person and he'll say that to me all the time he's like you're not normal you're like an alien like I don't know how you've done what you've done like he so even for a man to look at me and think you are an exception to the rule one, I love that because it shows that I have done the work on myself to make sure that I've done the right the right thing for me. But it also makes me makes him as a man respect me completely differently. So remember that the people in your life that really care and, and the people that you want to surround yourself with will love you for being this strong fighter. And, and that's that's key. I would say resilience is a lot about your fight, the fire that you have in your belly. It's not about you being an arsehole and saying to everyone else, oh, you know, you're not good enough. It's not, I don't, I'm not about that at all. I'm never, I don't ever place judgment, but I judge myself. And I'll always sit with that. So I feel I've gone off a tangent there, but I think that's the most important thing. Like as a woman, you, you do have a right to be a warrior. You have a right to be a fighter. You know, you have a right to do that for yourself and you have to be your own biggest backbone because if you're not society will crumble you because you'll become what you don't want to be and no no one should deserve to live their life like that you know if you're a mum a single mum a working mum a friend a sister a daughter and any you know a woman in football you know until we won the euros no one gave a shit and now all of a sudden we're amazing and now women can play football sorry what's been going on for the last 30 years so do you know what i mean in any scenario as a woman if you have beliefs and a life you want to create fight for that life fight to create it because you have every right to do it and if it was a man he sure as hell would oh mic drop <laughs> he would though wouldn't he I agree. I mean, I could, you need to do a TED talk because I would literally, I'm fucking fired up over here listening to this. Like, this is what I mean. It's like, look at this as well. Like you, as a woman here, you've been fucking vulnerable. A minute ago, you were crying into yeah. vulnerable, raw, sharing my story, not unapologetically sharing my story, tapping into that amazing feminine, feminine energy with your emotions and being able to talk about these things and be able to share these things but also realizing there's this balance and there's a part of you that you've created that is the fucking fire in your belly that is the fire yeah. that is the warrior and it's this is what is unstoppable about you and women and men in general of course we're talking about anyone can tell yeah, I do love men I do love men <laughs> um, but it is it is this fucking balance that you found that and it's again we keep coming back to this word create and I think it's this self-creation uh, which I think is a really interesting point what I would be interested to talk about as well as we touched very briefly on um anxiety and worry and obviously the person in front of you me now is yeah. you know, struggling with that right now but how do you have that 
you know, how do you cope? What tips would you give, give people? Because I know a lot of people that listen to this do struggle with anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but when maybe that fire in the belly, that fighting spirit is much fucking harder because I know there have times yeah. where that's probably been the hardest thing to do is to get up and fight. But how do you do that? Yeah, totally. And I think that's really important. You know, mental health, both, both Rosie and I are super passionate about that. And I'll always hold a lot of space for this type of conversation. Um, and mental health, anxiety, depression, you know, bipolar. Or, you know, I haven't experienced all of them, but I've supported women through through them. And I think it's really important that we do recognise that everyone's journey will be different and what you experience and why you experience it will be your own story. Um, but there's a few things that really helped me. So, yeah, I would say I probably struggled with anxiety from about 15 to 25 like solidly um it was a, I was really really insecure if you met me I was still like this though if you met me on the outside I was still like this like very bolshy and like confident and probably I was more annoying like more intense with it because I was trying to prove myself whereas of course I'm being more intense because this is like a 45 minute podcast but in real life I'm a lot more uh, like laid back and very authentic with who I am but it was I was the same version of this, but on an on another level because it was a constant need to show everyone that I was okay. So my anxieties and triggers were around being loved, being liked, um, being rejected, abandonment. Uh, so even with friendship groups, you know. So I really struggled with that and uh, forming relationships and trusting that people wouldn't leave me. Um, so yeah, I had a lot and all of those doubts missing out. I'd have to go to everything because if I didn't, I would feel that I wouldn't get invited again, and then people would forget me. Uh, then when I did meet Luke, it, it spiraled really to another level. You know, I, I, I constantly worried that he would leave. Um, something would happen to him. He would die. Like it, it became really, really unmanageable by the time he'd come on the scene. Um, and because up until that point, it was just a constant niggle. I knew it wasn't right. And I would make excuses to text a friend that hadn't replied because they hadn't replied. And I wanted to know why not. And I did all of that. And that was so irrational. But when he came on the scene, it became like a whole nother ball game. Um, and obviously that at that point I sought help because I, I you know it, it definitely definitely beaten me um and I, I think what happened is the version of me that you hear now existed but there was a polar opposite I like crying until five o'clock in the morning uh, it was almost like a bipolar situation I was absolutely out of control and the next day I'd be like let's go like, so I had this real, uh, I am a Gemini, but I wouldn't say I'm a stereotypical Gemini. But in that period of my life, I was, I was these two versions, this crumbling out of control. And I was out of control and I say it with love, but I was completely, I had no control over who I was at this point. It was just this vulnerable, nothing made sense, but I could, it, but it all made sense at the same time. And then this version of myself that was at the time I just started teaching. So going to work, like looking after teenagers like I, and I could do that so I had I was like a high functioning high functioning anxious person um and so I never I was never on medication and I share that because I know some people have gone to the doctors and they've been um you know actually diagnosed I never had that diagnosis but let me tell you there is no way on this earth that is not what was happening. So I, yes, you can stand self-diagnosing there, but yeah, I am. Um, so a few things I did. So one, I, I went to counselling. Um, I went when my dad died, but it, you know, I was young and didn't really know what was going on, to be honest. Um, so I went back to counselling for two years and I went every week. Uh, that was one thing I did. I did CBT, so cognitive behaviour therapy, because EFT wasn't a thing back then. You know, Reiki, holistic things weren't really... What was going on so that was one thing I did the other thing I did was I read the chimp paradox which is just the best book in the world um so if you haven't definitely get it it's just a really good way of helping you understand your brain you know in layman's terms it talks about the fact that there's part of your brain that is this chimp and it's separate to you and you can create a bit of a detachment for it so we named them so mine was called Roger uh, Luke's called Chip he did it more out of solidarity um and then each chapter there's like activities so it's like you know what your chimp might do in this situation or how your chimp might do in this situation so that was really helpful for me to learn how my brain works and it not be about me because if you do experience anxiety depression mental health it, you feel like it's all on you and you're basically just going crazy you take on the, all of these responsibilities 
Um, so if you haven't, definitely get Chimp Paradox. It's a really, really good book. So I would I definitely get, I definitely sought help from someone else. I did that. I read that book. And the other thing I did was I started to uh, audit myself. So um, I basically sat down with Luke and we made a bit of a contract. I don't know why I said a bit. We made a contract. And I was like, we, I need, we need some rules because uh, this is really hard for me. So we had rules and you could do this with your loved ones, your friends, you know, people you trust. I only, this was only something that was in my inner circle, you know, people that I really trusted, but I then did make rules. I sat down with a few of my friends and I remember saying to them, look, I really struggle when you read my messages and you don't text back. And WhatsApp was still quite new then. So when I saw those blue ticks and they didn't reply, that was enough to send me into a frenzy, to be honest. Um, so I would say, if you can't reply, don't read my message because I, I can't deal with that, uh, seeing the blue ticks. So I, I, I sat down with a few of my loved ones and, and, and explained what makes this worse. And with Luke, we did. We had a little we had a contract. So it was if you're going to go out, I need at least a day's notice. So I so I know where you're going. I feel like I can prepare myself. And of course, I understand people could listen to this. And, you know, he was my boyfriend at the time. But clearly it was serious he loved me enough that he was like you know of course I'd do this work and if he didn't love me enough well then we weren't meant to be together because I need that's what I needed so um there are certain rules so be the third the third thing is give yourself a safety net and that's what these rules were for me I like to be I like to have control as you've heard from this I do like control but control for me is safety control for me is not about power that's very clear uh, I'm happy to be the vulnerable person in a room. I'm very happy to to be the the feminine slower person. I use control as safety. It's not about control at uh, power. So I I had to create environments where my uncontrolled mind had elements of control. So for example, when I then would spiral when Luke was out, we had code words. Um, and if he would text me saying, how are you feeling? If I sent certain code words, he would know he either needs to call me and just let me know he's safe or text me. And that that saved everything. So I would say get yourself some support, read the book and do it properly and create an environment for yourself where in your hardest times. You can think about what you need to to survive that. Um, and make that when you're not struggling. So when I didn't feel anxious and I was feeling calm and happy, we made these rules for the anxious version of me. So that when I was that version, I knew that the sane, and I say that with love, but like the sane, calm, compassmented version of me had made this. It wasn't then the irrational me that was like, I need all of this stuff. Um, and it did work and it helped Luke because as, as someone that loves someone that was going through this, he had no idea. Like I said to you before, he was like, your life's wild. Now I've got this anxiety and he's like, you're wild. I, I, what is going on? So for someone that does care for you, whether it's a friend, a family member, giving them something to do is actually really helpful. So he then knew I wasn't trying to just pester him or stalk him on a night out. I wasn't trying to, because, you know, I met him when I was 20. So, you know, I'm 21. He, he's five years older than me, but he's out with his mates. And he's got this 21 year old girl like following him around, like, you know, thinking that he's out cheating. And that's not what it was. But from his perspective, it's like you're just constantly harassing me. So having this in place allowed him to have more fun and but also allowed him to support me. So he knew if he just rang me for two minutes, I'd be fine. And then the night could carry on. If he didn't ring me, I by the time he got home, I thought he'd been killed. So give yourself safety parameters. And that could be with work. You might need to sit down with your boss. I'm not always going to say this will be easy, but these conversations, your mental health is super important. So if you need to sit down with your boss and explain some of the triggers or maybe someone you work with or a contract that you've got, if you need to sit down with a parent because there's an unhealed trauma and you just need to talk it through, if it's with your children, you know, where, however this transpires for you, the best thing you can do is be honest about these triggers so that they become aware because it's always people, there's always people involved when it comes to anxiety and mental health. Uh, it could be strangers, or usually it's people you know, because they behave in a way that you are triggered by, or they say things that trigger you, or they live their life, you know, so telling people around you allows you to create safety, because there's no pretense, there's no feeling like you have to try and be someone you're not, or overcompensate, 
or over apologize or fix things all the time. Um, so they would be my three practical and some of them are free as well. Things or, or very low cost, like the book, things that you can do to just start to try and rebalance yourself. I think that's some absolutely sound advice. I think that book is amazing. I think um, Path Through the Jungle is also great, his more recent one. Um, and I think it's it's really important what you said about almost separating, like there's not something wrong with you. Like yeah. this you thing, I think from a level of self-worth and self-love, and certainly from my own experience too, it was almost like there's, always, there's something wrong with me. And that level of like, I was almost like so disappointed in myself that I felt that way. And and something you said earlier, I don't know if it's maybe the same feeling, but I remember when you're in it, it feels so rational to you. Yeah. And you, you feel like, how is nobody else thinking this way? Like <laughs> you're fucking crazy for not thinking this. And yeah. then when you're out of it, you're like, how the fuck could I think that? And it's that's very confusing as well. And it's very consuming. And I used to say this to um my ex-husband a lot of my worry manifested in feeling sick and I'd worry I was going to be sick. And he'd be like, but you know, you're not going to be. I said, it doesn't matter. It feels real. Yeah. Like it is it feel, and I'm like trying to explain that was really hard. So I think, like you said, having those lines of communication open with people and thinking, Do you know what? I deserve to express my needs and how I'm feeling. This isn't something that's wrong with me. This is something that I'm struggling with. And that's very different. Anybody's susceptible to struggling with it doesn't mean I'm less worthy as a person. I'm not, def- you know, a, there's no defect. It's just something that's happening. And these are ways I can deal with it. So I think opening up those lines of communication is and a, a really sound advice and I know people will listen to it as well like you said it's really easy to misconstrue that of well you can't give me a day's notice and all these things it's not about that it's like you say it's safety and creating mm-hmm. that once you've started to get a tackle and handle on those things how would you say you've overcome because essentially they're the triggers how do you overcome the why you're triggered and the the deeper rooted need for those things how did how was that Uh, maybe is that related to your self-worth is that related to mindset like how have you sort of managed to take it to that next level where you know you said realistically now for a long time you don't experience anxiety and I'm guessing you don't still have some of these parameters in place you've kind of made that piece in your mind how did you do that yeah I would say we probably lived like that for about two years Mm -hmm. on and off like as in sometimes it was great and sometimes it was but yeah, it's been a while since we've used that. However, a lot needed to, I can, I can, I could be, when I was younger, I could be very righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my triggers um, and challenges obviously did come from my mum, you know, and, and she was involved in, she was a catalyst to quite a lot of my um, experiences. And I became quite righteous. I would never do that. You know, I don't agree with this. And there was a lot of anger. We didn't speak for five years. You know, there was, and and our relationship now is uh, tenable. So, and I know that's on me more so. That's definitely more on me now because I've created that boundary. But um, I had to go back to the things I was avoiding. And I think that's, it's very hard. It is very hard to do that. And what I'm trying to do is, make this practical for everyone listening so it's not just about you know me and this experience but it's also things that you could do but I did once you start to handle your current reality the next step is to handle why you've got there and how that's happened so that was a big thing for me so I did have to I didn't have to but I wanted to so I um I did start to explore this idea of you know my mum and um try to empathize more I did quite a lot with my counselor on that you know uh, rather than just seeing it from my point of view what might it have been like for her and and I know it would have been hard you know she's she came back into our house and all we wanted was our dad and she's not him so not only did she not live with us as a mum she's come back and we didn't want her that's tough you know so it took me a long time to be able to empathize with other people that I had felt had done me wrong. But although I may not accept her life choices and although I wouldn't repeat them myself, now I'm going to have a daughter 
I can appreciate and empathize with why she made some of the choices that she did and how it ended up this way. So I think if your triggers are related to past traumas or past relationships with other people, it, and it might be people you don't even see anymore, you know, it could be an ex-boyfriend, you're not going to ring them up, you know, but I would say do some digging in yourself to see if you can empathise with how they have got to that point. And, you know, my mum got sent to boarding school, so she obviously then did have a lack of parenting and love. And I can, I can, I've, I've done a lot of work on myself to learn why she would have been and is the way that she is and, and made decisions that way. And that allows you when you then think about the deeper root of your own triggers to start to recognize how this is just a very sad knock on effect of the world. And hating or resenting one individual or two or three or however many that you feel have wronged you is doing a disservice to them as well because they've been wronged and what you realize is this is a mental health and our triggers are just a constant domino effect and unless we decide as the person that's now experiencing it from someone else unless we decide to go deeper into understanding how that's happened to us understanding how the people have behaved that way towards us we're never going to be able to let it go because that you always just feel injustice you always just feel wronged and when you just have that feeling it's always like there's a need to prove it right so that that's the biggest one spend some time looking at empathizing understanding but the second thing is you do have the right to start fresh so when you do feel like you've worked through your own triggers and where you are if you decide that you are a better version of yourself or you're a newer version of yourself you have every right to just start fresh that's very hard to do though if you don't look at the things in the past but if you wanted to and you felt like you just want to explore that newer version of you Spend some time looking at that, reading positive self-development, reading about your mindset, learning about yourself in a positive way. And if you then still feel that you're getting hung up and pulled back, well, then that's your sign that maybe you need to look at things that have come up and people and places and things. But they would be the two things I really started to get into after looking at everything with my own triggers. I started to look at self-development. I really started to read books. One of the first books I read was by Gabby Bernstein, you know, The Universe Has Your Back. I started to really read about positive experiences and the way that the world could work for me, the universe, like my own energy. I started to become a lot more receptive and grateful for my life. And I am super grateful. I wouldn't change my life. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So I did that. But then when old wounds came up, I knew I had to, and, and they've come up since being pregnant. Obviously now I'm going to have my own daughter. I don't want to uh, create, I don't want to create a pattern. And obviously I've done a lot of work over the last decade, 15 years for myself, but now I really have to do that work because, you know, I, I need to make sure that that doesn't spill out and my anxiety doesn't come back. And we've had a lot of conversations about my mental health in the last six months um, with Luke and I around what could happen when she's born and how I might feel and my own mental health, because I am very self-aware and I'm I'm not precious. I'd tell anyone, you know, if, if I was having a breakdown, you would know. Like I'm, I'm very open. I don't have an ego around mental health at all. Um, so we've already put in parameters for that. We've already got some rules. So we our old contract is out. We've got a new contract um, and we're bo we've both agreed to it. It's like an actual written thing and we sign it. Um, and that's made me feel safer. But I think it's also made Luke feel safer because he's now like, OK, if these things happen and Sam does express these tendencies, I know what I need to do. And I've, I've shared that. I've said my anxieties will come out like this. My my insecurities would look like this. This is what I would need. I've told a few of my friends as well. If once she's born, this is what happens. I need you to do this. So I've, I've even now I've put in place my protective layer and made sure that that's something that I can work through. So I would say, number one, 
go back to the, the people and places and find empathy and understanding that takes time but it's really important for you to not repeat it number two look at your own self-development and start finding positives books people videos podcasts number three when you know that you're going to then be in a new situation that could perpetuate your anxieties no matter how far into your journey you are it's like an alcoholic you're never not going to be an alcoholic so I would never say I'm I'm recovered because it's it's in my cognitive function. So whenever you do feel like you're going through a new experience, it might be moving countries, it might be getting married, it could be having a baby, starting a business, whatever. Make sure you put these things in place for yourself. Know yourself well enough that you know what you need. And Rosie talks about this all the time. You have to know what you need. Uh, things that don't work for me are things like soothing music and meditation. If I'm in that irrational space, like that doesn't fucking do anything. So know what works for you and ask for it, ask for it. And like I said, at the start, even demand it. You have every right to fight your way through this, to be a warrior through this, just because you're struggling doesn't make you weak. Just because you're in a challenging situation does not make you vulnerable or someone that can't be a force to be reckoned with. Being a force to be reckoned with is knowing what you need and when you need it. And when I first got pregnant, I said to the clinic, I need it on my records that anxiety is something that's been in my past. That's I'm super passionate about that. And I was and I was I was just as forthright about that. So you don't have to be strong and tough to be taken seriously and to fight for what you want. It could be for your needs, your emotional, your emotions. It could be from a partner. It could be from a child, whatever. Remember your strength is recognizing that there is no weakness apart from when you do nothing. You have, as long as you're doing something for your greatest good, that is never a sign of weakness. If that's going to therapy, crying, having a meltdown, Asking for help, that is never a sign of weakness. You're doing something. That's strength. So the final thing I would say is never feel like you are backed into a corner where you have to do this all on your own and you feel like you're just flailing in the wind. Be strong enough to say, this is what I need and this is who I need it from. And if they can't give it to you, that's on them. That's not on you. If they can't give it to you, they're not strong enough to be the person you need you don't need to become weaker to fit in with them. So that'd be the final thing. Ask for what you want and demand it. It won't change if you don't. You have to be your biggest protector. Do I just got goosebumps and I got a little teary listening to you then? Because everything you've just said is just fucking brilliant advice. But I wish you'd said that to me when I felt that way. And I think it's so important to have these conversations now. Like even what you said about like, this is not a shameful thing to talk about. There's no, you know, even like demanding to have it put on your records. And I just mm -hmm. think, I think of somebody listening now that possibly heard, like is hearing this at the right time. Like it's so important to have these conversations. And there's so many people that have struggled and not had this knowledge. Mm. And knowledge is fucking power. Like, and even when you're talking about that first part, you said about, you know, empathizing and going back to your past and understanding it it's like it's never about validating somebody's behavior it's about understanding what happened just like you said so you can break that habit yeah. and not repeat that pattern it's so that you can understand hey, this wasn't about me this was about this and what have I made this mean about me and my life and and how can I change that and it's yes the positive personal development and all the things you just said just honestly has given me like proper goosebumps and I just I I think it's so important to have these conversations and again is a testament to your resilience at every point you've created this version of you and actually we're all capable of doing that it's yeah the power we give ourselves in those situations and asking for our needs and believing we're valid enough to ask for that because you are everyone is we're all uh, it's normal to have these things it's okay to say this is what I need and I need this now and and set yourself up to succeed in those yes. potential situations where you're like you know this might happen for me again that doesn't mean I've not it doesn't make it a failure for all the things I've overcome so far it means that I'm in, in emotionally intelligent enough right now self-aware enough I've done enough work to know actually this might trigger me so how can I make sure that it doesn't and having that that future element of like almost like anxiety too that is not doesn't mean there's a failure or anything it's just okay I understand myself well enough to know that I might need this and that's a great way to to you know like I just said set yourself up to succeed and that's the very core of it you've created yourself 
various different versions at various different points and now you're just in another process of creating this next version of you and yeah. all that you can to help her succeed and I just think that's lush um we have not even talked about half the things I wanted to talk to you about we've not even talked about business really but um I'm so this, sorry I go off this, on so many times no honestly this was this is probably one of my most favorite conversations I think I've had for a long time just generally um it's always interesting. I always learn something new when I talk to you. And I think it's really powerful for people to, this isn't business, Sam. This is the other side of things. But business, Sam, doesn't exist without this, Sam. And vice right. it, it all comes from the same same person. It's just different versions. And I think it's really important for people to hear. And I think I I can guarantee you I'm going to get so many messages <laughs> after this. Like, oh, my God. They're like, part two, part two. <laughs> um, but there's a question I wanted to ask you before we do finish. And firstly, just thank you for, for agreeing to do this. It means a lot to me. Um, this podcast is obviously called This Is Who I Am. It's all about self-love and self-discovery. And we've mm. talked a lot about self-creation today. But also, we've also talked about confidently accepting who you are and being able to show that person to the world, accepting your needs, expressing that and being like, Do you know what, I'm it's okay I'm, I am a force to fucking be reckoned with whether I'm struggling or not right now like I deserve to be heard I deserve to have my needs met and to be this person that I am mm-hmm. so a question I like to finish with with people which sounds like this deep spiritual question it's probably the I think it's the worst question to answer because it's really hard but hey we like a challenge um is who are you I would say to answer before I answer that I just want to say on that question like who are you only you truly know everything so if you are in a situation where self-love self-confidence being this force to be reckoned with being this amazing feminine energy whatever you however you and the best version of you shows up you know if you are a no bra no shaving, free spirit that loves to go naked bath swimming on the full moon. If you are a corporate, hardcore, masculine, action-taking woman, like whatever, wherever you are, you know, if you are a mum of five, no children, you know, living like a nomad or have a nice cottage in the country, whoever you are, before I answer it, know that you only you really know the truth. As long as you are being truthful every day with who you are and who you want to be, you will make yourself proud. And that that has to be the most important thing, because, you know, even now when other people tell me, you know, you're so resilient and you're amazing and you've got all of this. What matters more is in my mind, I say, I know. I know I am. Like, so I don't see it as, oh, yes, like someone, someone sees me for what I want to put out there. Someone believes in me for the version I want to create. I do know in myself, I am an exceptional human, like for, for everything I've been through, for the life I've created, for who I've become. I'm fucking proud of myself for that because I know the truth. I know the times that I've sat crying because I've worried that people don't love me. I know the times that I've been so intense with my friends because all I want is their validation. I know the times I've been in the bath crying because I feel like Luke's died on a night out. I know the truth. I know the versions and the shadows of myself that I have to work with. It doesn't mean I have to share them with the world, but it means I have to work with them and process them. And as long as you have full belief in whichever, whoever you are and you know the truth, nothing that comes your way will be able to shake you because you can come back to yourself and say, I am, I am proud of myself because I'm being myself. So if I was to say, who am I? I would say I am the loyalist person you will ever meet to a point of ferocious aggression. (laughs) Uh, Once you're in my circle, I would do anything for you. So I'm I'm a fiercely loyal person. But I'm also someone that will always be willing to show the light. When people meet me, they always talk about my energy and um, like how I come across and all of that. I, I always want to be someone that shows someone else what they can do. And I will always be the one that leads. 
who am I? I am definitely a natural born leader. I do like to lead. I like to stand at the front and at the place where it's lonely and say, I can fucking do this. Um, but more than anything, I would say to, to think about Julia Roberts, I'm just a girl who decided she wasn't going to give up. I love that. That's me. <laughs> what a part like that. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk because I think you've just said it perfectly. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Sam. Oh, thanks for having me. I've absolutely loved it. It's been so good. And I'll put all your details in the description of the podcast if people want a badass business coach to work with. I can personally vouch that I worked with Sam and it was honestly one of the best experiences uh, for my business and for me personally. Um, and I'll make sure that everyone can contact you on there. But thank you so much for doing this. Um, right. It's really amazing. And um, yeah, I think people are really going to have enjoyed this one. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Is Who I Am. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at selfloveCoachingWithRosie. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.